0: Welcome back to QAV, this is episode uh, 549, we're recording this, well we hope we're recording it, we hope it's working, (laughs) on Tuesday the 13th of December, this is our third attempt at recording this this afternoon, Skype crashed on us twice, so we're trying on Zoom, which means the audio quality won't be as good, but that's uh, all we've got to work with today. How are you down there in TK land, TK, after your week off? Very good. Very well, thank you. It is TK land down here, isn't it? It's good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> your own little fiefdom down at Cape Shank. It is, yeah. Oh, it's windy and wet here at the moment, though. So I can't play golf. I can, but I, want, well, I choose not to play golf.
0: Robin Williams would say, which is nice if you're with a lady, but not when you're in the jungle. Maybe windy and wet. No, that's like hot and wet, I think it was his line. <laughs> not windy and wet. No, you don't want your lady to be windy and wet. That's not good. <laughs> Sorry, I was moving right along. <laughs> You've been playing a lot of golf.
1: <laughs> Except that it's hot and wet in the jungle. <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah. Played golf every day last week. Played in a little uh, tournament? We did, yeah. Yes, we played um, Rural Melbourne West, which is a fantastic course, one of my favourites, often rated number one in Australia. We played Metropolitan, another really good course. And then we had a charity day for leukodystrophy at Woodlands on the third day, which was good. Terrific. Played well, won a little bit of prize money, which um, I put back in raffle tickets at the charity uh, auction, so that was um, all good. First time i won some prize money in a long time. And what
0: did you uh, win in the charity auction? Nothing. Oh. It was a donation, basically. You didn't get another Eagles, uh, not Eagles, Angels, Angels concert? No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Been a big week in the uh, stock market, Tony. Well, when I say big, bad, big in a bad way, uh, <laughs> your, uh, your good friend, Mr. Ler at the RBA decided he's not done fixing the economy, lifted interest rates yet again last week and sort of kicked the market in the nuts. I just posted, oh, the market's been going up for a couple of months. I think we're on an uptick trend. And then he did that and it came down. It's still up since the beginning of October quite a lot. But what did you think about the uh, RBA interest rate rise? Were you surprised, not surprised?
1: Not surprised at all. I think it'll keep going for a while. Inflation was, I think, 8% in its most recent um, announcement. So uh, it'll keep going for a while. I think it'll come off, but who knows? And I think overnight tonight, tonight being Tuesday, the 13th, the US uh, Federal Reserve might raise interest rates by 50% over there. So, um, yeah, we might see some, who knows. It's it's hard to say whether we'll see up or down movements in the stock market. It went up today overnight. The US market went up because they're, they, they think they've got it all figured out and they're expecting a 0.5% rise tomorrow. But, you know, they could be surprised.
0: I thought it went up because they're expecting the uh, announcement of Q is greater than one today, US time. That's supposed to come out today. What? The amount of energy generated by the latest cold fusion reactor. Ah, yeah, right. I saw that. Livermore. Yeah. Lawrence Livermore? Liverpool? Liverpool, Something? Lawrence Livermore, I think. Lawrence Research Livermore. facility. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're uh, rumoured to be doing a press release Tuesday US time to say that they have uh, created a fusion experiment that generated more energy than it took to create which is called Q is greater than one in fusion circles. So that, if true and if confirmed and verified and all that kind of stuff, you know, I was saying saying to someone earlier today, chat GPT taking the world by storm in the last week and now cold fusion as a reality. I'm starting to think Ray Kurzweil. I remember years and years ago, I had Ray Kurzweil on a podcast. I think it was like 2015. And back then he was still saying he thought the singularity would hit by 2030. I think he's pushed it out to maybe 2035 in recent years. But the thing with the singularity is, you you, you know, in in singularity circles, there's always been this talk that you won't see it coming until it it hits. It's at the front door, right? Because it all comes at the end. Like, wow, we have like functional AI and uh, cold fusion hit in the same week. That sounds like uh, singularity uh, speeding up to me, but who knows? I remember learning
1: about tokamak reactors at university, so uh, coal fusion's been a thing for a long time, and without any results.
0: Yeah, well, they've had results they've been able to They've been able to create. The Chinese created a fusion reaction a couple of years ago, but again, it was Q was less than one. It took more energy to create than they generated. But um, we'll see. Could be big. Well, I don't know what that's got to do with the RBA. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All the papers there. Why don't we ask Chat GPT? It might know.
0: Yeah, RBA is asking ChatGPT what it should do <laughs> with interest rates. Resign. I saw, you know, Mark Burris. Yes. What was the company that he founded? It was an Aussie home. Yellow Brick Road. Oh, what was it before that? Yeah, I can't remember. One of the mortgage brokers. Some mortgage thing, yeah. Saw him on TikTok this morning ranting about the RBA and the government. He said, you know, COVID, you know, they, they created all of this money, dropped interest rates down to zero, told us to go out there and spend it. So we spent it. Now they're punishing us. Everyone's getting punished by the RBA and the government for doing what they told us to do two years ago. So maybe he wants to throw them into a fusion reactor. I mean, that's how I finish the loop on that. <laughs> do you think we're being punished, Tony?
1: I think it is a bit like a pendulum swinging at the moment. Because personally, I think the real danger is that uh, interest rates keep rising, and but inflation comes down because it hasn't been. It's not being caused or influenced by interest rates being caused by supply chain constraints and the Ukraine war, amongst other things. So,
0: you know, it's a blunt instrument. Well, uh, moving on, coal is a buy again. And iron ore is a buy and again. And iron ore. And gold. And gold. I know. I didn't find any coal stocks on the buy list to buy this week, but um, I did buy some GRR last week. It's was nice. I tried to buy FMG yesterday, but it was having a down day, having a down day right. again today last time I checked too. It was the first thing this morning. But um, yeah, that's exciting. What do you think is going on with coal, iron ore and gold?
1: Uh, I think on the gold side, I mean, I've, I've been suspecting gold would increase because of inflation. It normally does. So it's been a bit of a surprise I've seen that the Chinese economy will pick up. It's, it's been constrained because of all the cities being in lockdown and, and coal and iron ore get driven by the Chinese economy,
0: at least in Australia. Uh, okay, well, moving on to a portfolio update. Dummy portfolio still doing good since inception. Fifteen versus seven against the STW. Still hasn't changed much from last, from last week. Last thirty days is interesting. If I look at um, the QAV portfolio, it says that uh, we've had a good thirty days versus the STW it's saying we're up 4% in the last 30 days versus the STW which is up 0.8%. So um if i look at it from a financial year perspective we're still seriously underperforming STW's 16% versus our 3 to 4 but in the last 30 days it started to uh turn around. Looks like we've we've our stocks have uh, outperformed in the last 30 days. So with, uh, you know, some thanks to CLX, which is up 28% in the last 30 days. LAU is up 16%, NCK up 13.5%, NHC up 11.5%, some of the big winners. So, um, yeah, let's uh, see how we go. Yeah, it swings around roundabouts in the market, isn't it, in the short term? Yeah, I was talking to, um, I've had a few a couple of weeks ago, you know, when we went through your results over the last 20 years. I've had a few people that I've spoken to, a few listeners since then say, Yeah, that was really interesting and very brave, they seem to think, of you to reveal, <laughs> to do a full frontal on your numbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Expose yourself. <laughs> They're like, Well, he's done it before. I saw the first time we've gone through your numbers, but uh, yeah, I think it's hopefully helps everybody chill out and realize that there are good years and bad years. Correct. What else do you have on your notes to talk about before we get into the Q&A and the pulled pork TK? Yeah, I had uh, just a couple of things. There's some bank AGMs going on this week
1: and coincidentally their dividends will hit our bank accounts. So for me, that's NAB and Macquarie Group and they're both on the buy list. So just be aware of that if um, either of those are close to a rule one for you. I think they are reasonably above their three-point trend line sell points. Uh, but yeah, you can't add the dividend back uh, once they hit your accounts. And just wanted to talk quickly, there was a collapse of an engineering company, I think I'm pronouncing it right, called Clough Engineering, C-L-O-U-G-H. C-L-O-O-U-G-H. And uh, they were doing some work for Beach Energy, which is now going to delay the um, bringing online of one of Beach Energy's local gas fields. And so that's hit beach energy this week as well. They're down 8 or 9% this week, which makes them very close to a rule one for me. So people might want to check that if they don't have their alert set. Uh, That's about it, I think. We spoke about the commodities before being buys again, gold, iron ore and coal, which uh, brings some stocks back onto the buyers for us. Good stuff. And who are you doing your pull pork on this week, TK? (laughs) Well, I told you this morning it was going to be Blue Scope Steel, but guess what? I spent about an hour researching Blue Scope Steel, got all the way to the end, was documenting the risks, one of which is the steel price, looked at the steel price and it's a sell. So (laughs) I don't know if I should do Blue Scope Steel. It's not a buy, even though it's on the buy list. Maybe we skip it this week then, because we've got a lot of questions to get through. Well, I did do another one on Anglo Gold, which I can do quickly, if you like. Oh, okay. Is Anglo AG... Gold Ashanti, AGG.
0: AGG? Oh, I added that to one of the light portfolios today. So, you know, don't... You want me to skip uh... <laughs> it? <laughs> <laughs> have they paid the, have they paid the <laughs> protection money? I haven't. Okay. Well, let's let's be brave. Gird our lines. Okay, quickly. Anglo Gold Ashanti,
1: gold company, obviously. Very uh, storied background. It's a South African-based gold miner based in Joburg, but it also has... EDI listings in the US here and Ghana, which is where the Ashanti part of their name comes from, because they've spent most of their life uh, buying and selling mines, a bit of a trader. And they were big in Australia at one stage, but they sold the Boddington gold mine to Newmont 10 or so years ago, which is one of the reasons why they're still listing here because they would have had local shareholders in Boddington. It was a pretty big gold mine. They still do have two gold mines in Australia, um, one called Tropicana, one called Sunrise Dam, and they have another 11 around the world. Most of them are still in Africa, but funnily enough, no longer in South Africa, but some in Ghana, Tanzania, other parts of Africa. They have three mines in South America, and they've just acquired a mine in Nevada. So they they do like to trade their their mines as company. I should point out from the outset that it's a, a small ADT stock. And I think that's because of the the dual listings or the quad listings. So the market cap in Australia for the listing is much lower than that in Joburg. Uh, and the ADT is only something like twenty five thousand dollars a month. So it won't suit a lot of investors, but um, it's very high up on our buy list. So running through the numbers, there are no consensus targets for uh, or no brokers following this because of the small volume thinly traded. It's a thinly traded stock on the ASX anyway. Certainly not on, on Joburg where it's large, but um, here it's thinly traded. No consensus target, which gives us a bit of an edge because we're doing the analysis that the brokers would be doing. I'm doing my numbers based on the share price of 555, which it was on the weekend. It has gone up 20 cents since then today, so that will change the numbers slightly. But at 574, it's the share price is greater than 91 there's no IV2, but it's much less than the net equity per share, which is 1484. So it scores for that and also, of course, for therefore being less than plus book 30. Stock Doctor Financial Health is strong and steady. The P is 8.81. It's reasonably low, but not the lowest in three years. So it doesn't score for that. And this is where it gets a bit interesting. And if anyone's thinking of um, investing in this stock, they might want to just uh, email Stock Doctor and ask them a question. But uh, I get a prop calf of uh, 0.19, Stock Doctor has one of 2.7. So there's a bit of a difference there. And Stock Doctor, I tried to research why. Stock Doctor has $2.03 as the operating cash flow per share, but we're getting $6.14 in the download. And it's, that's strange because we're using Stock Doctor numbers. So I'm not sure what's going on there. And it, I can't explain the difference. And it might uh, need a, an email to Stock Doctor to explain that. If, someone wants to invest in this first. Either way, though, it's still appearing on our buy list. It just drops from um, about the second highest QAV score back to, I think, 0.26 if we use stock, the Stock Doctor's prop calf number. I'm not sure why that's occurring, but um, question for Stock Doctor. Yield on the stock is 1.78, so it's not going to score there. It does score for a new three-point upturn. doesn't score for consistently increasing equity. And all in all, it's nine out of a possible score of 13 or 69% for quality, which isn't too bad, but but not right up there. And uh, using our prop cap, we're getting a QAV score of 0.77 or 0.26 using Stock Doctor. So uh, something to look into there with Stock Doctor. And I just wanted to point out too that I have followed AGG for a, a long time because it does come onto the buy list frequently. And the risk with AGG, which people should be aware of, is the low liquidity. So it's ADT is 25,000. That's an average. It may just be when it comes time to sell that there's no trade at all. So just be careful with this stock and be patient, especially on the way out. So that's AGG.
0: Mm, thanks. Yeah. 0.77. I saw that this morning in the low prop calf of 0.9 or something. It was really looked like extremely good numbers.
1: Yeah, it does. Stock Doctor is strange because we use the Stock Doctor download numbers and part of the download is to download what Stock Doctor has as prop PropCaf. And even though it's got all the same numbers except for that one operating cash per share, when it downloads to us, we use the $6.14 number and so do they. But in the field called price to operating cash flow, they're getting, um, yes, 2.7 times, which is strange.
0: All right. AGG, check it out if you have low ADT requirements, I guess. But don't all buy it and then try to get out at the same time I'm trying to get out. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) That would not be good. All right, anything else before we get into all the Qs and the As this week, TK? (laughs) No, that's all. Thank you, Tony. Okay, first one's from Ali. Hi, Cam and Tony. Do you mind discussing trailing stop losses versus our standard stop losses? Does anyone in this group use a trailing stop loss? Part two is also with inflation at 7.3% in Oz, is it still business as usual for us? Inflation really eats into our profits or magnifies losses. Any advice around this? And then she's got a part three too. Anyway, let's start with part one, trailing stop loss. Yeah, trailing stop losses, just they are what they say.
1: So you can, with with, uh, at least most brokers, put in either a, a dollar amount that the share price can drop before it's sold or a percentage amount. So if you you know you're you're away from from uh, a computer for a while you're hiking somewhere or whatever or you you're in hospital you can set trailing stop losses to be able to sell you out if if the share price drops by say a dollar if a dollar is relevant or by 20% or 10% or whatever the number is I've never used them I've always preferred to use the alerts and and execute the trades myself a couple of things about it is that the when the stop loss is executed, the trade becomes an at market trade. So even though the share price may have dropped by a dollar and that was your desire to get out, you may get out at a much lower price because the market may not be able to may not be at that price. It may have dropped through it. Once the stop loss is reached, it will just execute at whatever price is there then available. So you might say execute the trade if it falls by a dollar. Which you might find you actually um, had a trade executed when it fell, by, a, a, which was $1. fifty below the share price.
0: But we use that market anyway if we get an alert and go to sell it, so isn't it the same thing?
1: It is pretty much, yeah. Although you, you can decide if you think the share price is going to return, you know, to wait for a bit.
0: No, you can't. That's against the rules. <laughs> if it triggers, you sell. You don't stick around and wait. Come on, TK. That's forecasting. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah.
1: You can finesse it a little bit during the day if, if you do it yourself. Uh, stop. Stop. Loss it. executes at mass at um, at market. The other things to be wary about with stop losses are that you've got to set the stop loss price or percentage so it takes into account normal price fluctuations because you can be stopped out quite quickly if you set too finer stop uh, trailing stop loss. Like if you say it's two percent and the stock is occasionally fluctuating by five percent, then you'll be stopped out and you'll be cursing it when it goes back up again and you're not in it. So just be aware of that and also be aware around dividend times. If if you again have a, a trailing stop loss which is um, close to in the money and you've set it at a very narrow range, you could be stopped out during a dividend time.
0: Which probably not so bad if you are like um, Samuel was going to be hiking Kilimanjaro and uh, you're not offline for a month. Okay, yeah, worth taking the risk, but day to day, you might want to check things like dividends before you let it go, sell on your behalf. Yeah, correct. And the other thing too is that um,
1: trailing stop losses don't really suit three-point trend lines, which is a which is a fixed point, right? So. What I mean by that is the you know the sell price for a stock might be five dollars and the share price might be six dollars. If the share price drops by two percent or five percent or ten percent, we're still not selling. But if you said that five dollars was a twenty percent drop from six, whatever the math is, next it might take three months for that to come into effect, and by that time the three point trend line sell may have changed. So it doesn't really suit the way that we invest.
0: I mean, if you could, if you could. Pick a price, if you could get the 3PTL price and stick it in and say, okay, if it hits $1. ten, sell then, that would be okay, but buy 10% or whatever.
1: That's a fixed stop loss.
0: Right, yeah. You can do that now too, yeah. As opposed to if it just drops by a certain percentage.
1: Yeah, correct.
0: It's handy if you're
1: away and you can't execute your trades. It keeps, it keeps an eye on it for you. But otherwise, if a stock drops that dramatically, like say, for example, big Energy did during the week, and you had a five percent stop loss on it. It may well have plummeted through that five percent, and you're out at eight percent. Which, in my case, still wasn't my rule one, because which is ten percent. So using that kind of percentage based stop loss didn't, wouldn't have really worked in my case. And I'm still holding it, whereas I would have been sold out, but not at five, probably at eight. Okay. What about uh, Ali's question about inflation? Business as usual. Yeah, it is in terms of QAV. I mean, the business environment in Times of high inflation is different to the business environment in times of low inflation. We don't have all the dot-com stocks going to the moon when, when we've got interest rates um, which are higher. So that's one difference. I'm always reminded of Warren Buffett's words when he when he says that uh, a quality business is one that can raise prices at any stage during the cycle. And we're trying to find quality businesses. So hopefully the ones that we, we're invested in won't be that affected by inflation. And and uh, Buffett talks about the mode and being able to rise, raise prices during inflation because of the quality of the business and because it's, uh, it's selling a product that uh, people want to use. So, you know, your Heinz tomato sauce, um, Google, that kind of thing. So they're, they're going to always be able to sell things during periods of high inflation. But but we do see businesses come in and out of the mix during periods of high inflation. So. High inflation usually hurts discretionary retail expenditures, so we might see that Maya might struggle a little bit during a period of high inflation. And typically, the supermarkets will be bought up by people wanting a safe harbour because, again, it's a basic need and uh, people will still need to buy their food. And supermarket sales often go up during periods of high inflation because restaurant meals go down, people eat out less and they buy and cook at home more. But what I found is that the supermarket companies' share prices go up so their PEs expand during periods of high inflation. So even though they offer a safe harbour, they're not not necessarily a a good investment to own. There will be phase shifts in the market is probably the best way to put it, but um, the process will still take that into account and we'll find that stocks that can't put their prices up will come off the buy list and those that can will come on.
0: Ali asked uh, about inflation. If inflation eating into our profits, how does inflation eat into our profits? Just because the money's not worth as much? I'm guessing she means our profit
1: as QAB investors, and it doesn't. Like I said, I think the system will take into account which stocks are hurt by inflation and which stocks will do fine. If she means eating into the profit of the businesses we invest in, again, it's the Buffett saying if we're invested in quality businesses, they'll maintain their profits in a high inflation environment. So, like for example, the banks, the big four banks in Australia. They'll benefit from inflation, but definitely, or shouldn't be hurt by inflation, unless uh, you know it becomes a full-on recession and people lose their jobs and default on their mortgages. Because the banks can, um, you know, put their mortgage interest rates up and be slow to put up their deposit rates. So that's an example of a business that does well during a high-inflation environment. But stocks, like we we've spoken about already, like the high high PE growth stocks, are all doing terribly because of the simple math of a discounted cash flow that you know the inflation means uh, as people discount the cash in the future, it's um, worth a lot less now. When inflation's at at near enough to zero, a dollar you earn in 10 years' time is worth the same as a dollar you earn now. So you can push the the profits of these companies down the track and still expect to make money at some stage. But when, um, you know, at running at 8 or 9% inflation, if the company doesn't turn a profit for 10 years, that profit's worth half what it is now. So therefore, the amount you want to pay for that, in 10 years
0: is half what it was last year when inflation was very low. All right. Part three of Ali's question. I'd be keen to hear how Tony comes up with the hurdle rates.
1: Yeah, sure. So, again, I guess she's meaning IV1 and IV2. So, IV stands for intrinsic value. And I guess just as an introduction, I've found over the years that no one metric for valuing a company or valuing all companies works well. So I, I use a number of them and, and just try and create a bit of a heat map for valuations of companies. And it's an imprecise science, but generally if you have a number of different ways of valuing a company and it's it's cheap on some and maybe not so cheap on others, you you still are on the side of it being a valued company. But um, two ways to do it. Basically, you can use the assets of the company, which is why we talk about net equity per share or occasionally net tangible assets per share. And, and are we paying more than that for the company or less than that for the company? But in terms of hurdle rates, IV1 and IV2, basically saying that uh, we have a company which is making a profit and that profit can be expressed as a return on our investments. And is that return high enough? And and to decide whether it's high enough, we use the term hurdle rate to uh, set the bar for what's high enough. So IV1 is, a, I guess, my own metric. And historically, I, I started to use use it as a way of saying, if I've got a a concentrated portfolio of 15 stocks, I only want to add a stock which is going to improve the overall return on investment of that group to me. So I'm looking for stocks to add to the portfolio, which which have a higher return on the investment than what the portfolio generates. So 19.5% over time, that's the hurdle rate I'm looking for. And so I'm looking for stocks which will give me If I pay the price that they are now, their earnings per share equate to more than a 19.5% return. That's a pretty thin list of stocks because that's a high hurdle rate. So most people, when they talk hurdle rates, are talking sort of single-figure numbers or maybe 10% as a hurdle rate. We're talking double that. It might be easier for Ali to think of it in the reverse or the inverse. So the the IV calculation, if it has a hurdle rate of 19.5%, is like saying if I put one over 19.5, I'm going to get a, a PE ratio of around five. So that's the the inverse of 19, or well, the inverse of 20% is five. So we're looking for stocks which have a PE ratio of less than five, is, is the other way of expressing a hurdle rate of 20%. But we see them. They're on the buy-list. There's plenty of stocks on the buy-list which have a PE ratio of five or less, but they are very deep value stocks. And so I, you know, from time to time in different market cycles, I found that looking for that kind of stock was was getting pretty thin on the ground and it was hard to find them. So I have other metrics. And IV2 is the most common metric, which is used by the stock market. And it basically says, if I can invest my money in the most risk-free asset out there, which is generally accepted to be government treasury bonds, so 10-year bonds, then at what, at what return am I prepared to take the risk of leaving a treasury bond and investing in the stock market, which is inherently much riskier? So I know if I buy a treasury bond, I'm going to get, say, 3% or around that from the government. And the government is is more likely to be here than a company on the stock market is after 10 years and I'll get my money back and I will have earned 3% along the way. Not a great return, but it's often spoken of as the risk-free return it's the least risk in the the investing universe. So how do I measure that up against the risk and reward of the stock market? Well, I have what's called the risk premium to that 3%. And it's generally, I guess, accepted that the stock market has a 6% risk premium compared to government bonds. And so the hurdle rate for IV2 calculations is simply 6% plus the current RBA cash rate, which is usually the 10-year bond yield. And so that's been going up recently. And so the IV2 hurdle rates been going up as well. But that, that, that's sitting at around 9% now, which is a much lower metric than um, IV1. But that's generally what people are using in the market and analysts are plugging into the discounted cash flows, which I just spoke about. So they'll use around 9% at the moment. And they'll be saying that uh, if I can take a company and look at its, its cash flows over the next 10 years and then discount them back, I'm using a 9% hurdle rate, which basically means That's like a 9% inflation rate, and what's a dollar worth in 10 years' time? Well, I have to discount it back by 9% a year. And the rule of 72 tells us that if we invest it in the stock market and get a 9% CAGA, in eight years' time we'll have doubled our money. It's it's the reverse of that, so a dollar in eight years' time is worth 50 cents now if I discount it by 9% over the intervening period. And so that's what a discounted cash flow is. And that's what the hurdle rate is that's being used in most analyst models. And we just simplify that by taking it as the return that we need before we invest, which is called IB2.
0: And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. It runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and the... the private facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners zoom calls etc etc just sign up for the 2 week free trial and check all that stuff out you can do that at qavpodcast.com.au look for the um, free trial button there and if you uh, like the idea of value investing qav style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself. Think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell we email our QAV Light members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, QAVpodcast.com/u/light. slash L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to eat any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right. Have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorized representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 001292718. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.